It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother good afternoon good evening and good night whatever time of day wherever you are around the planet welcome to another edition of reliving the war my name is nim Sazor. as always my co-host is simon tackler and we are reliving the monday night wars it might be february 2021 as we hit the record button but in the eyes and ears of the WWE Network. Simon, it is 1997. We've had January in the books, and now we are right into February 97. That's right. We are on the eve of WrestleMania 13, uh, what is arguably, to many, a one-match show. But what a match it ends up being before we get there. It's sort of the forgotten stop. People remember Royal Rumble 1997, which we covered. They remember WrestleMania 13, for better or worse. Final Four gets lost in the mix. A noteworthy show, but not a very long show. This was fun to watch back because I don't think I've ever seen it more than once. You know, I actually haven't seen it full stop. I don't remember it being in the Civic Video near my parents' house. I don't even remember. I remember seeing highlights of it because it was a fairly monumental pay-per-view, but I have not seen it. It wasn't, I don't think a local Australian in your house VHS release via Coliseum video, but uh, it's a pretty good show. And the thing I love about these in your house pay-per-views are they're very bite-sized. You can get through them. As we've mentioned numerous times, it's shorter than an episode of Monday Night Raw is today. Yeah. And before we get into the era where all of these end up being three hours, should two hour pay-per-views make a return considering that the, on the WWE network, we're not paying for these shows separately. So you wouldn't feel jibbed if they said, oh, this one's only two hours. It'd almost be a relief. If we got the best two hours per month, aside from WrestleMania, Survivor Series, SummerSlam, and the Rumble, I'd be okay with it. I'd be more than happy with it because it's kind of, uh, because you already get like an hour long kickoff show. So that could sort of be the third hour. And <laughs> yeah, the yeah. Two if hours... you want to watch the third hour, but it's not essential, yeah. like, the main two hours of the main thing. I'd be good with mm. that. I'd be more than happy with that too, because it makes you wanting more rather than going, oh God, how long is this thing going for? <laughs> but um, as as we've seen with how long WrestleMania is blown out to be, thankfully in 2021, WrestleMania is going to two nights, which could mm. be something that they do moving forward. But you know what? Having a look at In Your House Final Four, it starts off, and we've seen the evolution of the In Your House as they start off with the uh, the regular, the World Wrestling Federation for over 50 years spiel that they love doing. But each opening has been getting better and better in terms of production value because when we started off doing the first one, International Incident, it just sort of went, welcome to In Your House, here's the match. Yeah, this one was a good one, a real dramatic sort of black and white classic music 
typical WWE style opening for the time. And it's so good. Again, if we're going to compare this one to the uh, NWO sold out where it's a bunch of guys on garbage trucks, it's no contest. And I really think 1997, it's not reflected in the ratings, but creatively WWE overtakes WCW, I'd say halfway through the year. And this was a sign of things to come. If you just put these show openings head to head. The weird thing too about this opening is it just talks about how good HBK is as a champion. Shawn Michaels is he was the most flamboyant, he was the <laughs> most athletic, he was this, he was that. And we've we've echoed that same sentiment ourselves. We always mention in nine out of the ten pay-per-views that we do, we always say Shawn Michaels is the guy that basically carries 1996 WWF at the time. But here, there's nothing about him losing his smile, just about He's no longer the champion. Doesn't say why. It hints that he's got an injury, but that's it. Yeah, they get into that a little bit later. This was establishing that, yeah, as you said, the most flamboyant, charismatic, bravest, coolest guy in the world ever is no longer champion, and that sets the stage. We then go to the uh, arena, and I think this might be the first WWE show that we've reviewed that doesn't open with welcome, everyone, from Vince McMahon. He's not on the call. It's JR and King. Maybe the first time they're doing a show only? Is that right? Mm -hmm. Must be. I believe so. It's got to be at least the first pay-per-view that they uh, yeah. JR and King are on commentary. But it also starts off rather strangely because they go around and do something that's been a staple of the WWF to today where they introduce all the Spanish announcers. But it actually cuts... Mark Merrow, wild man Mark Merrow, is making his entrance, but they don't focus on him at all. They're just talking about the commentators. Well, that's Spanish because announcers. Vince McMahon wasn't yeah. on commentary to tell you how much he loves Mark Merrow and his lovely wife, Sable. <laughs> you know, if Vince was on commentary, the focus would have only been on the wild man. That being said, though, what I thought was very amusing. So the opening match is Mark Merrow taking on Leaf Cassidy, a.k.a. Al Snow in his new rocker gear. Now, Leaf Cassidy doesn't even get an intro here. It's just Mark Merrow in there. They cut to his pyro and everything like that. And then you just see, oh, Leaf Cassidy's already in the ring. Yeah, he got the old jobber entrance, uh, which is no entrance <laughs> at all. A sign of things to come for poor Al Snow before he goes to ECW and sort of reinvents himself. Um Kind of two guys who I feel like WWE probably had big plans for. Things don't work out for them in the long run. But this is a good match, I thought. This was surprisingly solid. I, I wrote this down here too. Like, you know, inoffensive. Uh, we also have JR use the phrase educated fists <laughs> when it comes to Mark Mero. But something that really distracted me was there was a little blimp that's in the crowd. Did you notice that? Yeah, the Western Union, WWE <laughs> mini blimp. It was a small blimp, but it was just in the arena. And it's... I couldn't get the, um, like, sort of how close is it to the crowd sort of mm. thing. Like, yeah. Was it going to hit it... someone? I don't know. It was the most bizarre bit of uh, product placement you'll ever see. Another thing that kept distracting me was we talk about how there was no Vince McMahon to rant and rave about the wild man, but JR and King say wild man about 50 times in the <laughs> first couple of minutes, because clearly they don't want to say Mark Merrow. They just want to say, well, we've been told to say wild man, but that was like Vince sort of... McMahon in their headsets. He's the wild man. But like you said, it's a very fairly inoffensive match. Yeah, it was good. A lot of chain wrestling to start. Both of these guys, like, 
I know else know people will acknowledge that he's a good in-ring wrestler and you know technical wrestler. Mark Mero never gets any credit for being never. any good, but every match we've seen to this point, he's a good, solid technical wrestler, not any worse than you know anyone else who you would give credit for. Like he was fine. Yeah. And another thing too, he his finishing move, obviously, the wild thing, is a shooting star press. He pulls it off flawlessly all the time. He finishes off this match with another shooting star press. And you can't be a dodgy wrestler and do a shooting star press all the time, 100%. We saw Brock Lesnar almost kill himself at WrestleMania 19, and he's one of the all-time greats. So you're right. Mark Merrow really does not get the credit that he well, deserves. Mark Merrow's wild thing shooting star press gets a nine out of 10 from the judges every time he hits it kidman is like a 5.5 90 percent of the time but everyone's like oh remember kidman and he's shooting star mm. press it was terrible he'd go sideways half the time and like <laughs> knee them in the head mark merrow the wild thing is better than the seven-year itch yeah, yes, he really is. But so as sorry. we look back in time, we're reliving the shooting star presses. Nah, it's Mero over Kidman. That's what we've learned looking back. That's it. And and the other thing too was because you didn't see too many high flying moves in the WWF at the time. Hmm. That just made it even more spectacular. But what, another weird thing that happened at the conclusion of this match was now the honky tonk man enters. And then it just cuts to Sean's losing his smile speech on Thursday, Raw Thursday. Was there any point of the Honky Tonk Man being there? We never see him again. I, you know what? I forgot to look it up. I wanted to see if there was something cut from the version we watched, but it was very strange. Mm -hmm. Honky Tonk Man appears, gets cut off by a promo package. I thought he'd appear at the end of it. No, he That's just goes. Thought. One thing, Actually, one bit of commentary I want to mention from that match um, at one point, we see Sable get physical for the first time and slap Al Snow. Yep. And King makes a joke that I'm surprised they didn't cut out. He said, my motto is never hit a woman with glasses, hit her with your fist. Oh, God. I can't believe oh, they no. left that in. Oh, man. I anyway. cannot, cannot it was a different believe. Time. It was definitely a different time there. But yeah, the Honky Tonk Man put put me off a little smidge there. Mm. Uh, the 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 um highlights package for the thursday raw thursday it's basically the entire segment from raw that they play mm. yeah we see sean in his uh, iconic brown blazer <laughs> giving his sad speech about his knee being hurt but him also losing his smile so it's sort of a double whammy for sean mm. um he talks about how you know all he ever wanted to do was fly in lear jets and be on tv shows and he got to live his dream but now do autograph sessions. Do autograph sessions. He wanted to be famous, and fame wasn't what it was cracked out to be. It's kind of a cool story. I actually like. I know people make fun of it, like, "Oh, he lost his smile." But when you put it all together, the story of Shawn Michaels in the late '90s is kind of cool. He became yeah. the hero, hung out with his mentor. Oh, look at me! Everyone loves me. And then he realized fame wasn't what it was cracked up to be spiraled into a depression fueled by drugs and alcohol hmm. came back and when he came back he just said i don't care about anyone anymore i'm just gonna be an obnoxious idiot forms dx hmm. with his best mate and then like dx is born it's kind of a cool story arc a very cool story arc and then passes the torch to austin at wrestlemania 14 in a legendary match where he's basically 
in pain the entire time, but does manages to still pull a great match out of the hat. But and then that's that, that's the first chapter of his career. Yeah. His second half in 2002 when he returns and then just put doesn't miss a step. Even that horrible match with uh, Hulk Hogan in 05 against uh, at SummerSlam is entertaining for the amount of overselling that. that he does. It's <laughs> that's just hilarious. It's brilliant. That's the one time where he dips back into the I'm going to be the obnoxious a hole. <laughs> yeah. uh, the only time in his second chapter that he does that. But uh, then we get cut to after the Thursday Raw Thursday little recap about where Sean Smile has gone and why we don't have a champion. We get to a Sid promo. Now, I have absolutely no <laughs> idea what he's on about here. It goes from him yelling at the camera, like I'm talking full on yelling. So, and then it goes to him whispering. Now he's whispering so quietly <laughs> that they have to actually up the levels on the microphone. Yeah, he was so quiet that the guy, like on the audio panel, was like, "Oh my god, put it full blast!" And we get the end of it, and it just suddenly booms into your your speakers. But look, it doesn't matter what he was saying. It was another great Sid promo. I wrote in all caps, "Awesome Sid promo" because <laughs> it's great. We need more Sids cutting promos in the modern era. I think. The other downside of them bumping the levels up is you could hear him when he was whispering, but then when he went back to shouting, it almost blew your speakers out. <laughs> yeah, it is a hard one. You got to be live on the um the the fader, ready to go. <laughs> there is no one harder to panel than Sid Vicious. Uh, we then got uh, to the next match: a six-man tag match: Flash Funk, Bart Gun, and Goldust. Versus the Nation of Domination. Now, the Nation of Domination is Farouk, Crush, and um, Savio Vega. Vega. Yeah, Savio Vega has joined the Nation. Savio Vega still looks like Savio Vega. <laughs> from, from He hasn't changed his attire one bit. But He's just got a it's almost, trench coat. That's it. Yeah. It's almost like when the one, two, three kid joined Money, Inc. Like, there's <laughs> nothing to say that he's part of the group. He's just there with them. Um, a weird one here, which you might know a little bit about. Crush is getting jailbird chance. Was he in trouble with Lady Law here? I believe between him being like Kona Crush and then this version of Crush, I think he got like stopped at a border with either weapons or steroids and like <laughs> he got released from the company, but then because he didn't go to jail, they brought him back. And I think that's why someone on com commentary covers and like, oh, he never actually did time. Yeah, um, yeah. JR says that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To really cover their ass of like, if he's in jail, like, why is he on TV? Um, <laughs> yeah, so that explains that. And I think that also explains why he came back as like a bad guy and, mm. you know, joined the nation. And I think we mentioned last time he had a little like tribal painting on his head. Yeah. To get yeah, across a weird that little... now he's like... I don't know. He's, he's he has some form of you know, he he's in other words he's not he's not a white American male. He has some form of like culture to attach to him. We don't know what the culture is, but he's not Kona Crush. That's why he's with the nation. Uh, a weird one too was Farouk. He's there's a move where he calls Flash Funk a Southern Black Redneck. Did you hear that? Yeah, that was a, a weird call. And I feel like that was part of Farouk's shtick when he was feuding with Ahmed as well. He was like, yeah, they weren't, weren't black enough, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> they, they weren't the but right they didn't type wanna... of black or something. It was real. The, the nation so... stuff was really, really pushing it at times. 
it is so sort of uncomfortable because even JR is sort of like, oh, we apologize for that one, uh, people at home, because he's, you're right. It, it's so, you definitely shouldn't be saying that stuff. In 1997, we keep saying it, oh, it was a different time. But look, it's also one of the oddest tag teams I've ever seen. Flash Funk, Bart Gunn and Goldust. Did Goldust do anything of note in this match? No, he was really, really half-assing it here. He was barely <laughs> in the ring. I think they just wanted to establish that Goldust is now a good guy. So they just mm. put him with like two sort of white meat baby face guys like, oh, the cowboy and the funky guy and Goldust too. Like <laughs> the real like village people, all sorts of good guys here. Um, and of course, when Goldust was making his entrance, you know, the commentators mentioned like, oh, the crowd, they like Goldust because, you know, he came out as straight like it's still yeah. weird that, that was his face turn his big moment with Lawler where he's like are you gay and Goldust is like no and the crowd's like and cheers everyone just cheers because there's not a homosexual in wrestling he's a brave man who came out of the closet as straight like it's so weird his theatrics yeah theatrics, theatrics is what they were called and I love uh, that and at I- this point the WWE backing off the nation's original like gimmick because mm. obviously, as we've said, it's obviously Black Panther and Nation of Islam inspired. Yes. But now they're like, actually, there's a Puerto Rican and a Hawaiian guy. So they're not a black militant group anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, despite the fact that Clarence Mason still walks out with them, obviously yeah. doing a Johnny Carson impression. <laughs> not Johnny Carson. Johnny a, um, Cochran. Johnny Cochran impression. Johnny Carson one would be even more bizarre, but... <laughs> We then get uh, the Nation of Domination get the win here due to some shenanigans, but I've written down here uneventful and unmemorable this match. (laughs) Yeah, the only two notes I really made about the match itself, at one point Flash Funk hit a nice dive and JR said Michael Jordan-like hang time. And again, it just (laughs) went back to the whole JR only thinks black wrestlers have a nice vertical leap. Like I'm sure he thinks Michael Jordan has a great vertical leap too. (laughs) And then the other great bit is when the good guys picked up Bart Gunn. uh, No, sorry, Bart Gunn and Goldust threw Flash Funk onto the three bad guys outside of the ring. But instead of them like falling over, like, oh my God, he dived on us. They just caught him and beat him up. Yes. So it's almost like he threw him to his demise. It was kind of fun. That was almost like a Samoa Joe uh, move because I remember Joe used to do that. Like he was in, in uh, t- TNA around 05 to 07. He was always that sort of tough guy where he'd catch the guys and then beat them up. So like, uh, but you're right. It did seem like they made such a big song and dance about Flash Dunk doing that move. And the crowd loved it. Mm. But then for him to just get absolutely pummeled by all three <laughs> yeah. members of the nation, it was almost like, well, why did you do that? Yeah, why did you throw him into him? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we then uh, get to a Stone Cold promo, which is very cool. Throughout the entire night, we see all four members of the final four in the main event uh, doing pieces to camera, little promo things. And Stone Cold is just epic stone cold at this moment is fully done this is the final product stone cold that we know and love he call he's got all the generic things that we his little mannerisms like calling the opponents pieces of trash <laughs> which i always love no one calls someone a piece of trash better than stone cold steve austin but he you can sort of tell that he's he's figured out what he what he is right now yeah it's a short intense austin promo And the great thing about this era of Austin from like 97 to 99, maybe, 
it really felt raw in that he'd stumble and mess up lines and mess up words. And that's part of it. It makes it realistic. Like even in this one, they don't re-edit it. There's a couple of lines where he fumbles and they keep it in because that's real. This guy is so angry that he's like, you know, forgetting what he's trying to say. That makes it great. It really does. And look, you can really tell that like they've, they're they've finally figured out after watching king of the ring where it was basically like a non-issue that he won it's just like yep well done good on you Mm. move along we're all on team warrior slash team sean here (laughs) whereas now you can sort of tell i think maybe behind the scenes people are like this is a guy that i think is going to be the next big thing um speaking of next big things we move on to our next match which is the rock versus triple h for the intercontinental title now i don't know about you but did you think that uh, uh, that Hunter was getting a little bit more of the DX style Hunter to him as opposed to the Connecticut Blue Blood? Yeah, I think we noticed it first at the Survivor Series in the match, uh, sorry, the team promo before his match. When they when it was his turn to speak, he spoke without the fake accent. So I think mm-hmm. by this point, we're seeing him start to shed all of those Connecticut Blue Blood, Blue Blood mannerisms and and little characteristics. Rock, on the other hand, though, is still very much in his blue chipper face here. And what I thought is the like foreshadowing understatement of the night and is brilliant in hindsight, JR calls them both young athletes with their careers well ahead of them. <laughs> yeah, and my God, like, I'll be honest, like, I'm sure this match was good, but my brain just zoned out because I'm like, we're going to watch 10,000 of these matches <laughs> over the next couple of years. I'm like, I don't need to see this one. I can sacrifice one. And you know what? I, I'm not. I can't. I don't really see too much. I also, for my notes, haven't got too much written down here because it's weird, sort of seeing the genesis of Rock versus Triple H. Because you're right, throughout the 2000s, especially as you get right into the meat of the Attitude Era post Austin, these are the guys that are the real workhorses here because everything is built around Rock versus Triple H. Like it's a very underrated uh, feud because everyone mentions Rock Austin everyone always mentions triple h versus hbk from that point in time and triple h's reign of terror but no one ever mentions rock versus triple h because i think we were just so used to this is the norm (laughs) of course it's rock versus triple h everywhere yeah yeah Yeah. like just off the top of my head fully loaded strap match ladder match at SummerSlam 98 the iron man match at judgment judgment day Day. WrestleMania 2000, they're in the fatal four-way. Backlash after Backlash. Like, yeah. <laughs> the triple threat with Kurt Angle. Like, these guys are in so many matches from 98 to 2001. Like Not only that, too. Episodes of Raw, the one where mankind gets fired. Next week, The Rock oh, yes. threatens, threatens that everyone's going to leave the World Wrestling Federation and join the World Rock Federation. Yeah. Or the one like, where Triple H gets a title shot in an I quit, but then China turns on him. Like these guys just have a million matches. Mm. And even before the Attitude Era peaks, Rock versus Triple H, SummerSlam 1998, ladder match. When JR says that these guys have both got a long career ahead of themselves, he's not wrong. Uh (laughs) Not wrong. You know what? One thing I want to mention, because you're the theme music guy, like you've collected them all, and mm. all of that. Rock's early music here, I didn't realize that this and then the Nation of Domination theme song that like Farouk is using, it's essentially a mix of those that becomes the next version of the Nation music. And then the Rock's 
theme song is still built on this on the nation yeah. tune that he yep. uses here the just the, that drum beat like the rocks music obviously changes over the years but it's still built on this theme which i didn't really notice the this theme actually when we get into the next nation theme um it actually before it has the pg-13 rap over it it actually is the an evolution of the rocks theme that then has like sound bites from the rock mm. into like interjected over the top of it then the rocks following theme after it is just you smell what the rock is cooking with the nation theme minus any quotes then it leads to you know the great one people's champion sort of one it's a really cool ev- evolution of uh, theme music uh when you actually break them all down side by side but mm. on the topic of the rock did you notice that he did a top rope crossbody yeah he would do that in his early days to be fair he's like six foot five and built like mm. it, he does a nice crossbody yeah, it was really cool. It was just so strange seeing the rock go to the top rope and actually execute a move. It got to he got a two count there, but it's like uh, when we, you see Randy Orton do it in his early days too. You're like, oh damn. That's right. Yeah. You, you can kind of tell when everyone's in their early stages, they're just trying to impress, and that's the thing. <laughs> oh, if I go to the top rope, yeah. that'll do it. Um, Triple H then gets a neck breaker, but gets distracted by Goldust. Mm. Uh and Rock gets the win, but it's the post-match shenanigans that everyone really should take part of because Marlena is attacked by a mysterious woman. Oh, my God. Who is that? An overzealous fan? Yeah, this was a great shot because they cut to Terry just standing there near the guardrail, and we just see some arms grab her, and you see all the fans like, oh, my God, what's happening? Yeah, they and look perplexed. See, yeah, because it looked real, and then a security guard and a cop come, and they take China away and JR's apologizing for, yeah, like, oh, we shouldn't do that. You know, charges will be pressed and whatever else. It was great. But did you notice I rewound it twice because once the cops haul China off, there's a guy who the mic sort of picks up in the crowd and they're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's like the most Hmm. redneck American guy. And he's just perplexed at what he's seen and he's just sort of like (laughs) mumbling to himself. I couldn't pick up what he was saying. It was basically like Boomhauer from King of the Hill. And it's just like, oh. hey, man, go, whoa, China. Like, just, it was so good. I couldn't oh, believe man. it. I've, I've got to yeah, try and find and track down that audio. But, man, hey, speaking of um, in what's indistinguishable g- gibberish, uh, we then get uh, led into a Vader promo with Paul Bearer uh, doing most of the talking for him. You just forget how ridiculous Paul Bear was <laughs> at promos. You know what? There's a reason why they put Paul Bearer with Vader at this point. Like, I get it. The mistake of Vader in Japan, he's hard hitting and WCW, blah, blah, blah. But man, the he's silliness he's... of Vader, like, doesn't. He is dead in the water in the <laughs> WWF. Once that, once he does, once, once Sean goes, nah, not for me, he's done. <laughs> He mumbles through this. He's trying to say, I couldn't even take all the notes to explain it. He was trying to say that Austin has a canary mouth and a canary butt or something, but he yeah. mumbled it at the start and says, your Canada butt. And then he's yeah. like, oh, a canary butt, mouth. I was like, man, uh, to, to which then Paul Barry like, right, I'll take over from you. <laughs> I can't um, wait till we fast forward a couple of years for when Kane destroys Vader. And Paul Bearer is managing Vader. He does the Vader dance to Vader's fallen body, and it's the funniest thing ever. Oh, I cannot wait to watch that one too. Uh, hey, look, another one. 
um, we get we then get led into our tag match. Furnace and Lafon, they're back. Was it Survivor Series the last time we saw them? I think it was, and they sort of had a, a good showing in their debut Survivor Series match. They ended the match with Owen and Bulldog, so now they're getting a um a tag title match. Yeah, it's Bulldog versus Owen again, and there is a little bit of animosity between Owen and Bulldog after Owen eliminated Bulldog in the Royal Rumble. Uh, the, the very handy thing here is JR and, and King constantly mention there's tension between them. There's tension. What's going on? Yeah, that was the story of the match. Furnace and Lafon were almost afterthoughts. Like, I stand by what I said at Survivor Series. Why am I meant to care about these guys? Because they can do like athletic moves. They have nothing mm. to them at all. So much. My first note is Furnace has long hair and played football in Tennessee. That's all we're given to care about them. Yeah. And so he's Furnace. Furnace is the one with the long hair. Long hair. Yep. Lafon has nothing going for him at all. Like maybe <laughs> he was better before this or something, but he didn't impress me in the slightest. You know what, the, the, unfortunately for them, they can actually wrestle. They're good wrestlers. They're just so bland. But then doesn't this, this like is the argument of what does it mean to be a good wrestler? Just because you can do some good moves, that sh- shouldn't be everything. Yeah. Yeah. Because look, until they popped up on screen, I didn't even remember. I was just like, well, yeah, that's right. They're the guys from Survivor Series. <laughs> Like I, I remember, I remember the smoking guns more than I do Furnace on the front. And thankfully, there is no smoking guns, man. Oh, we did have Bart Gun. We did have Bart Gun, but that's we're slowly weeding off the smoking guns. No, no Godwins, what? thankfully either. No Godwins too. Yeah. Paul Owen notice? and Bulldog, one of the best tag teams ever from a technical standpoint. Two great characters. They were just in the wrong era. Like obviously Bulldog <laughs> with. Dynamite had the great run in the 80s with so many good teams. Poor Owen and Bulldog, though, were just in the the worst part of the 90s. No one to work with. Owen was also... I think Owen's happy, though, because remember when he was part of the New Foundation with Jim the Anvil Nightheart? And then High Energy with Coco Beware, so like I'm sure he'll, he was wrapped. He's probably going, you know what? This is good for me. I'm happy with this. I don't mind. Give me all the Furnace and Lafons you want. <laughs> Another another interesting bit too. JR gave us an update on the lady that attacked Marlena. She's been ejected from the building. Oh, that's good. That's what you do <laughs> if someone chokes someone. Get out of here. <laughs> Don't come back to uh, the show. Now, here's another interesting bit too, because there's a little bit going on in this match. An inside cradle spot, which leads to another misunderstanding from Borlog and Owen. As you mentioned, Simon, this match isn't about Furnace and Lafon trying to get the titles. It's about the almost heart foundation almost exploding mm. bulldog completely snaps and attacks owen and gets a huge pop for it too yeah yeah um and the, and the weird thing too is he he does that and it's kind of like right got that out of my system and they're back to being a tag team yeah because i think <laughs> it's all about being champions over breaking up still for both of them so he gets his head back in the game there's two points that were really interesting though bulldog was in the ring with lafon and he stomps Lafon five times in a row on the floor, and Lafon doesn't sell any of them. He just lays <laughs> there. I was like, you son of a bitch. And then a little bit later, Owen and Bulldog, um, I think it's Owen, is in the ring with Furnace and Lafon. And they do sort of the modern thing where like they do like five double team moves in a row where it's like a suplex into a kick, and then we pick him back up and we slam him again. And Owen kicks out at 1.5. 
And I feel yeah. like he did that on purpose. He was like, no, I'm not selling anything. <laughs> I will mention one thing about Owen Hart. He has got the best enziguri you'll ever see in wrestling. I don't care. Find me someone that's got a better enziguri than Owen Hart, and I will I will say that you're wrong. <laughs> to me, as a kid, he invented the move. Like, I don't know Antonio Inoki in 1996. <laughs> to me, when he did it to Shawn Michaels and gave him brain damage or whatever, that was like Owen's mm. move. Like, yeah. yeah. It's so good. Um, Owen then gets the a DQ with a slammy. Bulldog's going for a running power slam. Owen just runs in with a slammy and bangs him over the back. Uh, leads to a DQ. And then there's some post-match shenanigans as Bulldog is not happy. Not happy at all. Yeah, he didn't want to win it by cheating. He wanted to do it the right way. You know, they lost by DQ, but they kept the titles. At one point, the slammy falls off its little um, stand <laughs> and Owen's like just distraught oh, over it because he loves his slammies. So much pantomime from Owen Hart. It is just amazing stuff. JR and King. Now, King's commentary about uh, <laughs> about Bulldog. He's destroyed the slammy. <laughs> yeah. Owen Hart... <laughs> was such a great like character and so over the top outside of the ring. Like when he's just playing his character, he's so funny. Oh yeah. One of the greats. Absolutely. And he did that so well, but yeah, Bulldog and Owen reluctantly, well, Bulldog more so reluctantly accepts the win. He takes the belt. They go back to the back and yeah, it's, it's a nice little slow burn at the start of 1997, but then that leads us to an undertaker promo. He's still got that little spiritual edge to him of uh, I'm an undead zombie, but he also seems to be a little bit more human, don't you think? Yeah, I think these next couple of years are sort of weird for The Undertaker. Before they like redo him and Kane and the ministry, there's a weird period where he's like kind of moving away from the character, trying to mm. be real through 97 and 98. And it's a good promo. I think it's good that we get to hear him speak, though without Paul yep. Bearer. He's cutting his own promos. And yeah, he's doing some of his mystical stuff. But I think he loses his train of thought. But because it sounded okay, they didn't do a retake. Because he's talking about Vader. And he says, Vader, it's not when. And it's not how. But you can rest assured that it will happen. And I was like, that doesn't <laughs> make sense. And then he, and then he wraps it up with a... Uh rest in peace <laughs> yeah because like he was like using his fingers too he's like mm. vader it's not when it's not how and then it's like in his head he must have thought well if it's not when and it's not how then what is what's it? the last one it's like what's the last one what's the last one oh it's quick just say it will happen and rest but in peace that's it done and he also <laughs> did an extended piece he he said you know and you'll all rest in peace <laughs> and he like and and he did this thing with his hands he started them high and like did them low and mm. like the lights faded with his hands it was really weird it was i think he was trying something new it was the, it was the reverse of when he turns the light on with his hands up yeah. down his lights go up <laughs> that's awesome you can uh, walk into rooms like lights <laughs> on off um, we then have the highlights via coliseum video of um the Royal Rumble, the final four, what happened there. And we also get a plug for the Western Union airship, uh, which is nice to see that King lets us know that he's the one controlling. Yeah, it's kind of funny that King was making it out that he was the one like piloting the, the blimp. <laughs> the little blimp there. But uh, then we get to Vader versus Stone Cold versus Undertaker versus Bret Hart. Final four rules, which I thought was pretty cool because it explained uh, 
it explains it at the start. It's essentially Royal Rumble rules. These are the final four, which is strange because I'm pretty sure Diesel was one of the final four uh, at Royal Rumble 97, but let's not get into the uh, the nitty gritty about I that. I think the technicality is because Austin eliminated two people at once, like kind of, they were like, uh, yeah. we're not putting Diesel back in the match. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fake Diesel is definitely not main eventing a pay-per-view in 1997. No. Um, and and Brett got his pre-match just before this match. He was still being showcased as the main guy here. I thought this was so cool as well because, yeah, you do get the entrances, Vader, Stone Cold, and The Undertaker. Austin, as I mentioned, is fully done. He mm. is cooked. He's the final product here at the moment. He's got the swagger, go everything like that. Um, Undertaker is The Undertaker, but Kevin Kelly does a little pre-match interview with Brett. But then that leads to the cool shot of Brett like going from the from the interview straight to the ring. They follow him from the back, then cut to the front. It is the coolest shot I've ever seen. Pre-match promos are a thing of the past, and I don't understand why. We saw an end to it during the Attitude Era. That was sort of the last run of these happening with Austin and mm-hmm. The Rock. By the mid-2000s, they wouldn't exist anymore, and I don't know why. During a pay-per-view, don't run me 10 ads for WWE Shop. Show me yeah. a promo from a wrestler who's in a match coming up. And yeah. you're right, the shot of Brett doing his promo, his music hits and he walks out. They used to do that with The Rock as well, with Austin, with Hulk Hogan, with Randy Savage. Do that again. It was so cool when, you know, they hit their last line, music hits. So cool. Absolutely so cool. But the best part about this one, I thought, the music starts playing while Brent mm. is doing the promo and he picks it up on cue, wraps up and then walks out. So it's so well done. And such uh, a typical arrogant Brett last line though, where he says, me, the best man win, me. And then he walks yeah. off. <laughs> so he does that. And then they're essentially... Once the bell rings, they're paired off their respective rivalry, so to speak. Mm. Taker goes straight to Vader. Brett goes straight to Stone Cold. It's just insane. It's it's from the get go. This is a fantastic main event. Like it starts off. This is I reckon this is probably one of Vader's best matches that he's had. Oh, in the WWF for sure. Like yep. it's yep. almost the Vader showcase in a way because early on he starts bleeding. And he's sort of the focus of all of the brawling parts and whether he's getting beat up or beating people up. It's a spectacle to say the least, I think. I've written down here too. Taker actually has brought his working boots too because he is on fire. He's he's moving around. Like we sort of said, he's transitioned from just the slow walking zombie to actually wrestling human being. Um, And Action spills to the outside. It's just an intense match. Remember, no one goes over the top rope. That counts as a, it's Royal Rumble rules. Like I said, over the top rope, but pinfalls and submissions also count as well. Yeah, it's like a mix of the modern fatal four-way, but it's elimination with over the top rope eliminations counting as well. It's an interesting match. This is probably the first four-way match in WWE. So Mm. it is a bit of a mess at times. They don't really know the structure of like how to keep swapping opponents. So there's time to not go over the top confusing and yeah, how to not go over the top rope. Yeah. Can't go over the top rope either. It's fun to watch though. Like it's, yeah, it's not as polished as, you know, the modern ones with, Oh my God, the triple power bomb spot off the top rope that everyone does in, you know, every, this is awesome type match, but yeah, Mm. it's really fun. And seriously, the part where Vader bleeds, where Taker kicks a chair in his face, looks so painful. He kicks that chair as hard as he can. 
into poor Vader's head. It is one of the most intense matches you'll ever see. It's no DQ as well. There's a part actually where Vader and Taker are choking each other with cables, like broadcast cables yeah. are wrapped around each other's necks. It is brutal. It is so good. Um, Austin is the first one eliminated by Brett. And we, do, we also see Sid in the back watching like wrestlers do to the side of the TV, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, because we should point out that the reason why Sid did a promo at the start of the show too because Sid lost the title of the Royal Rumble, he still hasn't had a rematch. So mm-hmm. the next night on Raw, following this pay-per-view, he would take on the winner. So he would get the first title shot and it would happen one night later on Raw. So that's why Sid's watching. Um, one, at one point in the match when Taker and Vader are brawling on the outside, they're standing on the furthest part away from the ring announcer and like the, um, the timekeeper. Mm-hmm. So opposite ends of the ring, Undertaker does an Irish whip to Vader, and Vader jogs the whole length of the <laughs> ring and just falls into the timekeeper. It was one of the <laughs> silliest things ever. It was like in the video games, you know, you can hit an Irish whip and the opponent will just run as just long as there's running. nothing in front of them, they'll run indefinitely. Yeah, it's the age old no mercy run in the backstage area where they just keep going. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened to Vader. And then Vader was, I think, angry about something there because Taker goes to throw some punches at Vader. And then Vader's like, no. And he sort of spins Taker around and just like lays into him. It, it's a mess, but it's so fun to watch this match. Vader is also very stiff here, too. There's an exchange oh, with Brett where it just literally looks like he's just assaulting Brett. Like, just there is just. There's not room for a playing card between his fist and Brett's face. That's why when Brett gets him in the family jewels, I think Brett's like, right, here's a receipt for you. <laughs> <laughs> because, because Vader actually gets another kick to the balls from Undertaker later on in the match. So Vader must have been like, this would have been like the, come on, man, you need to calm down. Yeah, that was a way to get him to start selling it to line up. Like, we're just going to just low blow you for real. Um, with Austin's elimination, I thought it was weird. And it turns out he actually injured his knee. So I mm-hmm. think he gets eliminated earlier than maybe he would have wanted to or earlier than the plan was. He comes back though, uh, mm. which is the best part that I love is Austin and people trying to pull Austin away from the ring is one of my favorite tropes of the Attitude Era. It's just the greatest thing watching police, security, Briscoe and the Stooges and Pat Patterson just trying to get him away from whoever's in the ring. It's the coolest spot you'll ever see. And I'm so glad they reuse it a lot and a lot. Yeah, we see that here. Um, we're not following this in chronological order because this match was so hard to yeah, follow. It's over the- <laughs> but yeah, after some eliminations, we see Austin trying to come out because he wants to cost Brett the match because Brett eliminated him here. So you can't get him away. And the match came down to The Undertaker and Bret Hart because as you said, mm-hmm. Vader got a low blow. When he got yep. the low blow, he was setting up the Vader bomb. And yeah, that's the low blow and then tumbles over the ring. And that gets one of the biggest pops of the night, though. The crowd lost hit. their minds when Brett eliminated Vader. So that was kind of cool. Um, and Austin inadvertently helps Bret Hart win this match. Because mm. he's, he's so consumed by trying to get Bret over the top rope and cost him the match that he starts interfering with Taker's business and Taker's like, well, enough of this, mate. I'm going to like, I'm going to put you in your place. 
And then it's the age I've written. It's a great ending to the match because as Taker is distracted dealing with Stone Cold Steve Austin, Brett uses his opportunity to throw him over the top rope. Yep, that's it. He chucks Taker and Bret Hart becomes the champion. Four-time champion approaching mm-hmm. Hulk Hogan's record at the time of being a five-time champ. So Brett, you know, Sean losing his smile and losing his title just worked out for Brett again at this point. Yeah, it really does. And you, the funny thing too, in the lead up to to that ending, when they're talking about the, they're doing the hype packages, not the hype packages, but when they're talking about uh, the commentary during the match, they mentioned that Taker has a chance to become a WWF champion for the second time. Like it's so bizarre that Taker is still a one-time champ at this time. Yeah. And it's about seven years since his last title. Well, his and first title. He sort of mentions that in his promo as well, actually, because he says like the dark energy that consumed the WWE in the early nineties is slowly coming back to me. Like, yeah. Because yeah. how do you sort of explain why the hell he hasn't been champion since 91 or 92 or whatever? Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a great end to the match. Brett gets the win. Then the weirdness happens where an ad for Mania 13 comes in. Then it cuts back to the ring where Brett's celebrating. And then we get Sid. Sid confronts him at the end. Yep, that's it. To set up the next night on Raw, Sid versus Bret Hart. And uh should we explain what happens there? Because it's the next yeah, night, and by the next pay-per-view, it's gonna be confusing. One night later. Sid becomes champion again. This also leads to the infamous Brett promo where he completely loses it and unofficially maybe kicks off the uh, attitude. Well, officially, you might say, kicks off the attitude era proper because uh, Vince McMahon comes in and asks him, you know, like, oh, you must be extremely frustrated after the match. He pushes down Vince and says, frustrated isn't the goddamn word for it. This is bull. And he actually swears. He swears on air like this is bullshit and he completely loses his mind. Yeah. Absolutely loses his mind. And that's sort of where things go. And then we set up Brett versus Austin for WrestleMania 13 and Sid transitions into a feud with the undertaker. And that's how we get to mania 13, which you wouldn't tell that's where anything is going after watching this show. A weird thing too is, well, that's something that's overlooked in Brett's little meltdown on Raw 24 hours later is Austin actually appears at the end, like during the promo, to interrupt Brett. I don't remember that part happening. Yeah, Brett actually is confronted by Austin and then Brett unloads on Steve Austin verbally. They both have like little stouts. It's one of those ones where Brett... Where um, <laughs> I, I believe the line is so Steve Austin is basically berating Brett for being a whiny little baby, and Brett's trying to come up with the comeback, which is something like, "Well, your stones are so cold, da da da." Like, but he can't because Austin's still talking. So Brett's just trying to give <laughs> what what in his mind is probably the best zinger on the planet because Austin hasn't shut up. He can't get it's it completely out. lost. Yeah, I think he refers to him as a dirty, stinking hyena. I know that. Yeah. I feel like that's the only <laughs> insult I remember Brett using at that time. <laughs> but it's, what's, what's always intrigued me about the whole idea that Brett got screwed at the Survivor Series, which obviously we're going to get to in a few months, is the fact that it almost feels like part of the storyline because here in February and March, like you said, 
He goes on the big rant to Vince, but he keeps hammering in that promo, you screwed me. You've screwed mm. me. The WWF keeps screwing me. And then the yeah, fact you screwed that they me screw once. him in November. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And the conspiracy we've, and we theorist see... in me feels like <laughs> this was part of the story. And we see on camera too, Vince, uh, uh, Brett um, shoving Vince. Like exactly. Before Austin ever got his hands on uh, Mr. McMahon, Bret Hart did it first. Yeah. So how was him being screwed at the Survivor Series not the natural end to this whole story? Because they mentioned the WCW stuff on TV. It's, you know, part of the story. He's been screwed for a year. That's why he forms a Hart Foundation. He's paranoid. And then he gets yeah. screwed for real at Survivor Series because he thought he would in the storyline. Yeah, it's weird. It, it's it's a there's so many different layers to it, but man, as I said, 1990 when you watch the 1997 Royal Rumble and look at some of those people that are in the ring towards the end and what where they end up at, yeah. in December 1997, it's bizarre. Like we mentioned, how Fake Diesel starts off 1997 as Glenn Jacobs starts off 1997 as Fake Diesel ends up as Kane tombstoning the Undertaker to wrap up the year. How even weirder is it for Bret Hart? He starts off in 1997 in the final two in the Royal Rumble and then finishes at Starcade 97. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> How the mighty have fallen by that point. But also at the Royal Rumble, we didn't mention that one either. But yeah, when he gets eliminated, he goes over to Vince at the commentary table and says, I've been screwed. Like That's the whole it. year of 97 wraps up perfectly perfect storytelling he gets screwed and he has to leave the company because he's been screwed the whole year it's weird i i think one of the first things he says in wcw is i'm here to make sure things are done right because i know what it's like to be screwed yeah that becomes his whole thing and then maybe they just took the out they're like what if we just screw him for real it's perfect <laughs> what's what's funny is so the um the first uh bret hart um, documentary that they put out on w on WWE Home Video in I think it was two thousand and four. Um, it was originally to be called "Screwed: The Bret Hart Story," but then obviously Brett came to the party and was like, "Hey, look, do you want to do some piece of the camera?" And then they changed the narrative a fair bit. <laughs> I still want that cut of the doco with everyone just burying him like they did in the um, Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, the Warrior on the self destruction of the Ultimate Warrior. I would. I almost, I almost imagine like Bruce Pritchard sent Brett that version and said, we're releasing this unless you play ball and come back and do some stuff for us. Oh, man. It's, it's just, for Bret Hart, it's just 1997, definitely not one. He's, what's one of the best years for him in ring, though? That's but a hard horrible year. His best year as a character and, you know, as a main eventer, but also his worst year. Yeah, as a human being, it's not the best. But look, what did you think of Final Four? It's a very short pay-per-view. I don't even think it gets to two hours. It clocks in at just under. Like, it's about a, uh, an hour. and It's an, about 90 minutes and change, to be honest. Yeah, it's about 90 minutes. The main event is 25 minutes in the ring, plus four entrances. So, really, the main event takes up almost an hour. So, if you can sit through the first few matches, this isn't a bad pay-per-view at all. Like, it's built around one match and it's a fun mess of a match. Like I liked it. There's also, like I said, we got the Bulldog and Owen shenanigans. That's also very, very entertaining. Rock versus Triple H is there. Great for historical reasons. And that's really about it because yeah. 
you know, I'm not going to tell anyone to go out of their way to watch Wild Man versus Leaf Cassidy. No. <laughs> Although it, another historical point to watch this show, first time we get just straight up King and JR on a pay-per-view. Yes. And JR taking the back seat for a few months with Vince still doing play-by-play, JR feels like a new man on this show because he is high energy, crazy JR that we would know and love during the Attitude Era. Like, this is the first time watching one of these shows where I'm like, that's the real, real JR. JR. Maybe yeah. the cowboy hat gave him superpowers because now <laughs> we're into like only wearing a cowboy hat. He loses his mind. Like JR yeah. is on fire. Very, very cool paper. I also agree with you. Strong recommendation there. If you're going for an MVP of the show, who would you say it was, Simon? Whatever the opposite of MVPs, I almost want to say Jerry Lawler for some of his offensive jokes. Because like I mentioned, (laughs) the one about hitting a woman with glasses, but also another one during the Rock and Triple H match, JR's like, oh, Peter Maivia probably watching this match very proudly from up above. And King's like, oh yeah, where's he watching it from? And JR tries saying, oh, from the big arena in the sky. And King cuts him off and he says, I bet wherever it is, it's real war. It's war. (laughs) Go silent for a second. (laughs) JR must have been like, serious. It's like, dude, you can't say that. You really cannot say that. But, oh, look, all in all, it's a very, very good show. Um, when, When the low, when the bad matches aren't that bad to watch and you can sit through them very easily... I think it's it reflects pretty well. And that's what the In Your House pay-per-views had uh, as a big benefit for them, the mm. fact that they were just so easy to consume. But uh, next up here for Reliving the War... Oh, first off, I reckon you didn't actually get into who you think was going to be the, um, the MVP. <laughs> um, legitimate one, I'll say Vader. I'll give it to him because, yeah, what a way to go out. Maybe his last good match in WWE... He's bleeding all over the place. He's brawling with everyone. He's running into timekeepers. I'll give Mm. it to Vader. And yeah. I'm actually going to give it to Undertaker because I was really impressed with Taker here. He he brought his working boots. And if you move on like into the future for the next couple of months, Taker's got stories with Brett. Taker's got stories with Vader. Taker Taker plants... Yeah, Taker plants the seeds for feuds throughout here and he also wrestles fantastically so i'm going to give it to undertaker here but well there yeah, you go solid... he wasn't lying it's not when it's not how <laughs> but it will happen but it will happen <laughs> yeah so i'm gonna give that straight to taker for my mvp but yeah a really fun pay for you highly recommend you watch it if you've got 90 minutes free um look super brawl uh five i think is next for WCW. It's the first, technically, the first WCW pay-per-view of 1997 after NWO sold out. But we'll be covering that one. That looks like it'll be a bit of fun. I think it's another Hollywood Hogan main event. Don't know which crony he's up, he's up against. It just, just escapes me because... I have no memory of this show at all. I have no idea what we're watching on that show. Normally, I can at least rattle off like, oh, that's the one with this match. I have no idea what is on this Super Brawl show. Yeah, 1997 WCW pay-per-views aren't quite as iconic as the 1996 ones because I, th- I think this is the part where the WCW realized that like, hey, look, we don't really have to do much to beat <laughs> yeah, the true. WWF right now. I, I think all I remember is that from watching them years ago, the 1997 WCW pay-per-views are really good. I just can't tell you what matches are on them. I yeah. think they're mainly like good mid-card matches, but who knows? 
Well, we'll find out very shortly on the next edition of Grey Wolf Wrestling Presents Reliving the War. Now, if you want to get in touch with myself or Simon, you can follow Simon on Twitter at Simon Tackler. You can follow me on Twitter at DocNims, but the best place to get in touch and find out where we're doing a new episode of Reliving the War is to follow the Grey Wolf wrestling socials gray wolf ent on twitter instagram all of that jazz in fact if you don't like wrestling i don't know why you're listening but uh, there's other great content on the gray wolf network there's a new hoops podcast where they go through the entire fits and ned go through the entire um rumblings in the nbl new pack chat as well so check that one out where they talk about the mighty ducks but we'll be back for another edition of super uh, of We'll be back for another edition of Reliving the War. Super Brawl, maybe something we can dig up some memories and think, hey, you know what? This is probably one of the best pay-per-views we've ever seen. I'm hoping probably. that's what we get, but <laughs> I doubt <laughs> I doubt that too, but yeah. We will catch you next time for another edition of Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. Greywolfentertainment.net.